Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Word Processing. My name is Andrew, I'm one of the pastors at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. And for the first time in a few weeks, I'm joined once again with Pastor Josiah. It's great to see you. Back together. Back together again. You took a few or a couple well-deserved weeks off, uh, and it was great to have some other voices on the podcast, and I'm glad you got a chance to, to spend some time with your wife and your kids, And but I'm always jealous for the time <laughs> we have together on this podcast, so I'm glad to see you. And we're going to go back to form here, Josiah, and return to the sermon that you preached just this past Sunday from the book of Matthew. I'm wondering if we can start, as per usual, with just running us back through maybe the main points of the sermon or the things that we talked about in this text. Well, Matthew 25 obviously comes right after Matthew 24, and the two of them together... Wait, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) I went to seminary for that. Yeah, there we go. So they do work together because it is the fifth of five of Jesus's major teaching sections in the Gospel of Matthew. And this one we oftentimes call the Olivet Discourse because, cleverly, he gave it while sitting on the Mount of Olives. And it is pointing to the future. It's all about end times, eschatology. And so Matthew 25 specifically, which we looked at this past Sunday, is the second half where he gives two parables, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents, and then a description of judgment that will end the tribulation period. And that's really it. That's the whole section we looked at. But as a whole, 24 and 25 together, it is this look to the end times and this coming of severe global tribulation and chaos that is going to come on the world. So really, it's this foreshadow of things to come. And really, it was two sermons together that were linked, as you say, by this one text, Mm -hmm. but really left us in a hopeful note, but also gave us action to do. And we're going to talk about that a bit more in a moment. But the thing I appreciated probably most this past Sunday was that opening illustration you gave. You talked about this letter. You read a letter from wartime from a soldier in the front lines writing back to a family member and used this illustration of that letter is not addressed to us, and yet there's still a lot that we can learn from it, a lot that it can teach us, even though it's not addressed to us. And you made that connection that this teaching that Jesus is giving during this discourse about the end times is not for us. It is addressed to the nation of Israel, and yet there is still obviously plenty we can learn from it. The question I want to get to today, Josiah, and this is maybe a bit beyond the scope of today's podcast, but hopefully we can at least touch on it, You and I often talk about this idea of who is the letter, who is the writing addressed to, who is the original audience, realizing that all scripture is God-breathed and useful, as we read in 2 Timothy, but not everything is a one-to-one direct application that this text is for Andrew now, 2,000 years later. And my question is, is how do we make that differentiation? And specifically, what I'll do is bring up an example from Matthew. So we have Matthew 25, which is a lesson to Israel about this war to come. But a few chapters later, we have Matthew 28 and the so-called Great Commission. Jesus gives that to his 11 followers, and we are not them either. And yet we would say that Great Commission applies to us as his followers now as well. So how do we approach the Bible in such a way that we can distinguish what things are one-to-one correlation application for us and what things we need to dig a little bit deeper. I know that's like five questions and I've been ranting a lot, but. (laughs) Well, I'd appreciate your input here as well. We do so prayerfully and carefully. Yeah. And we do so contextually. It's very important. And we bang this drum oftentimes. And I think we've had discussions in the past couple of years on this podcast about the importance of context when reading the Bible. 
And in the case of our study through Matthew, we're doing just that. We're walking through Matthew, and that helps a lot. When we come to Matthew 24 and 25, it's very clear as we look back, especially to Matthew 24, that he's speaking to the nation of Israel because of the things he says that are going to happen. We're talking about the temple. We're talking about people on the Sabbath. The clues throughout are very Israel-centric. When we come to Matthew 28, so a lot has happened between Matthew 25 and Matthew 28, uh, most significantly the death and resurrection of Christ. And when we come to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, it's interesting that he says at the end, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, which isn't new. That was part of the Abrahamic covenant that they were going to be, that Israel was going to be a blessing to all nations, or God was going to bless the world through Abraham. But this is now these disciples, like you said, being sent out, the 11 being sent out to make disciples of all nations. Well, are those 11 going to go to every nation? So we have to ask that question. That's a pretty tall task. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that's different. That's new. Okay, so something's changed. Then the last verse of the book, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So is he with those 11 till the end of the age? Well, we're still in that same age and the 11 are no longer here. So very clearly he's speaking to the disciples, the progeny of those disciples, Mm -hmm. the disciples those disciples make. Now, again, all of this is put in the context of the, the canon and the Bible as a whole. So when we were in Matthew 24 and 25, we also have to place that in the context of Daniel and the prophecies of Daniel, sure. which we didn't really get to, but which is very Israel-centric. Matthew 28, we have to put in the context of the book of Acts, which comes next and which propagates the gospel. And so, I mean, a long, perhaps unhelpful answer to your long question, but, <laughs> but it's context and we read carefully paying attention to the text itself and the clues it gives us. And I think this is a special, I mean, it's important in every aspect of scripture reading, but we know that certain parts of the Bible were written to the church or people in the church age or churches versus, you know, going to Old Testament prophecy or uh, writings that were for specific groupings of people at that time. I think of passages that are taken out of context all the time. Like we, we like to bang on the drum of Jeremiah 29, which is often taken out of context. And remembering again, what would the original hearers have heard and what was it saying to them and realizing that everything written in the Bible is not a direct instruction for us. We talk about the idea of things being descriptive versus prescriptive or prescriptive for certain people groups at the time. And like you said, understanding the context of all of it and I love how you just started that prayerfully and carefully. That's what we always need to be doing when we're approaching God's word is handling it that way. Yeah. Like you said, the difference between description and prescription is very, very important. With narrative, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, we need to understand that inspired by the Holy Spirit, the authors are recording what happened, not necessarily what must happen now. Yeah. The book of Acts is all about this. This is super important when we come to the book of Acts. In fact, it's this interpretive grid that we're talking about now that has made all these denominations, a lot of them anyway, in the church today because of how we understand Acts. Is Acts chapter 2 and the coming of the Holy Spirit as prophesied, is that descriptive or is that prescriptive? That has created a plethora of different denominations, right? Mm-hmm. And so it really comes down to reading carefully and like you said, carefully and prayerfully and trying to discern, like you said at the beginning, all scriptures God breathed and useful. Acts 2, Matthew 25, Matthew 24, they're very useful for us. We need them, in fact. The Holy Spirit said, you in the 21st century as my church need this text. 
but it doesn't mean that we are Israel or we are the people in Jerusalem at the feast in Acts chapter 2. There are ways that we need to interpret it to rightly apply it to us. And that's what Right Bible Study is all about. Mm-hmm. Sorry for the tangent there, folks, if that wasn't helpful. But I think it, I think it's something we always need to approach. And as we talked about on this podcast or in Sunday school, we're always trying to focus on learning to study the Bible better, uh, things that we should all want to do. We, if this is God's inspired word, as we say it is time and time again, we want to make sure we're actually hearing what he has to say to us. Well, a lot's at stake. A lot is at stake. Right? You read a passage, and if you don't understand it properly, then you're going to apply it improperly. Mm-hmm. And so then you go out into the world saying, I must do this because God has laid this on my heart, when he didn't actually mean that. And not only were we then applying it wrongly, but we're missing the actual intended application. So there's a, a great deal at stake. So again, humility, prayer, care, we want to do this well. Mm-hmm. So let's try and do that well right now as we look at the application of this passage in Matthew chapter 25. And you gave us three imperative statements and specifically noted that these are things to do now. These are things to do today because none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And you gave us some practical ways to do these things. And I want us to just go back through those maybe a little bit, give us some maybe more practical examples, maybe how you and I live these out or try to and how we can encourage people in the church to live these out as well. So the first one was to keep your heart ready today. So Josiah, how do you keep your heart ready? And what are some ways that we can keep our hearts ready? Well, first, we need to be very thoughtful about our internal lives, our spiritual lives. Uh, We can go through life distracted, as many people do, by the cares of this world and not pay careful attention to the state of our heart. Am I repentant? Am I seeing sin in my life that I need to keep short accounts with the Lord for and repent, knowing that there's forgiveness and cleansing that comes with that? Or am I letting the plaque build up in my life and in my heart? We know that that leads to callousness and hardness and uh, grieving of the Holy Spirit and a quenching of the Holy Spirit. I don't want any of that. I want to deal with that. And same with people around me. Is my conscience clean before men and before God, as Paul says in Acts chapter 24 as well? So I want to be repentant. I want to keep my mind on things above. I want to fill my mind with good things, Romans chapter 12. I want the renewing of my mind. This takes intentionality. And it's very easy for me, speaking personally, to allow my heart and my mind to drift from things of the Lord. There are enough cares in this world. There are enough frustrations in this world. There are enough stresses in this world that I can quickly and with increased rapidity move away from the Lord. It's almost like a snowball rolling downhill in my life, I know. And so I need to put the e-brakes on sometimes and just make sure that my heart is staying malleable to the Lord. It's staying sensitive to him. It's my mind is full of things above, like I said before. So that's what I mean. And, And there's an urgency in this text. Like I said, this letter was not, this lesson was not given to us and it describes a war that, praise God, we will not endure But there is a sense of urgency all through this text that we can also learn from. The parable of the ten virgins, they were not ready. The talents, they were not using uh, their talents properly, the money, investing it well. And the master could come back at any time. The same is true for us in the church. Mm -hmm. The Lord can come back at any time. I want to keep my heart as tender and ready as possible all the time because I know not when he will return. And so I, I don't know if you have anything to add. I think that's pretty straightforward though. But how do we cultivate a tender heart? Am I receiving the word? You know, am I in prayer to the Lord? I've said on this podcast before, a litmus test for myself in my spiritual life is those normal spiritual disciplines become more laborious the more hard-hearted I'm becoming, I suppose. 
And if I'm having trouble reading the word, if I'm having trouble spending time in prayer, then it alerts me. Honestly, it's like, hang on a second. My heart is not really ready right now. I need to come back to the Lord, maybe repent, do some time with him. Yeah, I think a huge part of this also has to include then being honest with yourself and actually evaluating those things, taking that time to sit down before the Lord and, you know, looking at your calendar, looking at how your time is being spent, looking at how much time is spent related to our spiritual life, things that are empowering or build up ourselves or other people within the church and how much is spent on other things. Not to say that those other things are necessarily bad things, but how much of our time, how much of our priorities, how much of our life is being spent with God. Am I grumbling? You know, it doesn't even have to sound super spiritual in this way. Am I doing the things the Lord has put before me? If I'm a teacher, am I teaching? If I'm a construction worker, am I building? Am I doing what the Lord has given me without grumbling, with a sense of gratitude for what he's entrusted to me? Mm -hmm. If I am grumbling and sour about the things in my life, that can alert me that my heart is not soft. My heart is not ready. I'm not operating in this area of gratitude that I need to. Yeah, we talked about that a few weeks ago from the pulpit when I was preaching about the idea of serving because we want to, not just because we have to. Mm -hmm. Now, it's good to serve because God tells us to and to be obedient. But that, as you say, is a really good indicator of where our heart is. Is it something you're actually excited to or you're impassioned about or enthused by uh, actually doing things? Yeah, one of the things that the Israelites were oftentimes rebuked for was their grumbling spirit as they went through the wilderness. Sure. And I want to make sure, and again, it's one thing to talk about serving in the church and, and praying and reading the word, those very Christian things, and they are good things. But also, we just need to be raising our kids, loving our spouse, being a good friend, being a good employee, being a good boss, and doing those things with thanksgiving in our hearts for what God has entrusted to us. As unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Is my heart prepared to do that? So let's talk about that a little more then, because the next imperative was keeping your hands busy today. And I know how you keep your hands busy because I see you around the church all the time, but not everyone is employed by the church. Not everyone is engaged in vocational ministry, and yet we all want to keep our hands busy. And so I guess my question would be, what are some suggestions for people to serve either in the church or outside of the church? Where can we be looking to keep our hands busy, not just for busyness sake, but as under the Lord, as we engage in worship through our livelihood and our actions? Well, first, I know you would admit with me that being in vocational ministry does not guarantee that your hands are busy for the Lord. It's true. (laughs) Very, very true. Um, So how do we do that? I mean, first, we need to understand what the Lord has given us. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned on Sunday, there are some things that he's given to all of us collectively that we share, but there are other things that he's given to us individually, uniquely, certain personalities, skill sets, abilities, interests, circles of influence, workplaces, classrooms, whatever the case may be, do I ever sit down and think, am I leveraging those for the Lord's glory? Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be right at a church. It doesn't have to be working at a church. Am I leveraging using those relationships? Not that they're projects, but in a sense, I mean, they kind of are. That's why we're here, right? Is to be a light for Christ. And so am I trying to find ways to talk about Jesus, to demonstrate Jesus, to show him off, to talk about his grace. Am I trying to find opportunities where that that gospel of grace that we all share, that I'm trying to magnify it and make it attractive? Yeah, all of those things. So they're, they're just, it's a way of thinking that, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. I think it does. And I think it comes directly out of what we were just talking about. All of it, this comes from a heart posture. It's about looking at that perspective. You know, when I'm engaging in recreational activity, on my free time? Am I doing it just to have fun or just to relax? 
those are good things. Or mm-hmm. do I view it as an opportunity to have fun, relax, and possibly be used by the Lord for his glory, to share the gospel with people who don't know it, to love others the way that Christ has loved me, to be salt and light, as you so rightly put it there, in the midst of a community that doesn't know him. It's all about that heart posture and perspective of where am I going and how am I viewing that opportunity I have? Is it simply for me or is it for the ministry that God may want to do through me in that? And we could start here, easily stepping on the toes of the next imperative and start looking inside the church. How are you leveraging what the Lord has given you to build up the body of Christ, to encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ? But this one is a bit more externally focused. Israel was being warned to steward the gospel of the kingdom, to go and invest it in the nations of the world, to make sure that it it spreads. The next imperative talks about loving who God loves, kind of more inside the family of God. But at the same time, if you want to think about keeping your hands busy, you can keep your hands busy encouraging brothers and sisters in Christ as Mm -hmm. well. There are a lot of Christians who are discouraged or who need to be helped up or who need to be served. And again, that's a good way to use our invest to invest what God has given to us as well, I think. And I think one of the things that you've often talked about is not waiting for opportunities necessarily to come knocking at your door, but going out and actually looking for them. So if you feel like your hands aren't busy enough, go and find ways to use them. Try and find ways to keep yourself busy. Find ways to serve the church, for instance. If God has laid a burden on your heart, come and talk to myself or Josiah or the elders. And if he's laying a burden to start a new ministry or to do something that maybe we're missing or to serve in some particular aspect of the church, just do it and trust that God will empower you to do that as you rely on him for the strength to engage in those various serving opportunities, whether inside the church or outside the church. I'm pretty sure, and I think my history has proven this to be true. When something's important to me, I will find a way to do it. You know, I'm creative enough, determined enough to try to find a way to make it happen. A bit of a spoiler here and a very negative example, but you think of Judas Iscariot in chapter 26 of Matthew. You know, it gets in his heart that he wants to betray Jesus. Jesus has bothered him enough that he wants to do this. What does he do? It says in chapter 26, verse 14, Judas, and then verse 15, he went out to find a way. He went to the chief priest and said, how can I, what will it cost you for me to betray him so he wanted to do something and he went out and found a way to do it super negative example sure but at the same time i can see in my life when i have something that's important enough for me to do man i want to be used by the lord he has entrust everything i have is a gift from him an entrustment a stewardship issue oh boy i need to find a way to leverage everything he's given me i'm gonna find a way to do it i'm gonna find a way so maybe it might be starting with my heart is soft. I'm just going to ask the Lord, Lord, make me hyper aware of everything that you've given me and give me a burning passion to use it for your glory. That might just be the starting prayer right there. It's interesting as you were talking, my head went almost the other way and showed that the danger of this too, that when there's things in our lives that are negative that we actually really care about, if we care about our sin too much, we'll find ways to engage them too. Oh, for sure. And that busyness itself is not the goal, but it's busyness for the sake of Christ that we are doing work for him, not just finding ways to to keep ourselves occupied. Well, you already talked about it, but Josiah, the final imperative was keep your care godly today. And as you have been mentioning, there's lots of needs around the church if you just look for them. But what advice would you maybe give to someone who might be listening that might not feel familiar enough with people in the church to meet those needs or to look for those needs? Someone who maybe goes here, has been coming for a bit, but doesn't really have those strong connections to say, I know this family is suffering now, or I know this person could use 
a coffee encouragement or or something like that. Yeah, I don't want to undervalue the ministry of prayer, interceding on behalf of one another. Oh, that's huge. If you don't know people, um, you can always start praying for people. Yeah. You can always start praying for, let's say you've only come a couple of times, you see some people up on the platform, start praying for them. Pray for the protection of the church. Yeah. Pray for the ministries of the church. Give financially to the church. There are so many ways that you can start serving generally and start supporting those who God loves. And then keep praying that you get to know people. Yeah. Have people over. Take people for coffee. Grab people after church and just ask them questions about themselves. Sometimes, honestly, one of the ways we can serve one another is by the ministry of presence. There's loneliness in the church. There's people feeling isolated. To go and just talk to people, ask that the Lord leads you to people that are desiring a conversation and desiring to pray with someone, all those kinds of things. So I understand the awkwardness of being new to a place. It wasn't that long ago that we were new here as well. But I don't think the answer is to pull back. Mm -hmm. The answer is to prayerfully step in and start getting to know people. And there are some things you can do at the forefront that are still very much loving who God loves. And we don't want to undervalue prayer for the body. I think that's a very important one. And that's one that we often talk about and one that comes up as we pray together as a staff or when the elders gather, they pray for needs that are known through the church. But one person always prays for you know, the needs that we know about, but those we also Mm -hmm. don't know about because there are people within our church that don't make their needs known and don't make their loneliness or their suffering known before other people always. And by prayer, we can still serve them and we can still care for them well until those needs are made known or uh, even if they never are, because God knows those needs uh, more than we do. And he knows what those people need more than we do. Yeah, for sure. So we come to the end of this chapter and we're left again with this sense of urgency to be faithful with what God has given us, to guard our hearts, make sure that they are soft and they are ready always for his soon return, to leverage what he's entrusted to us for his glory and to serve the people he loves. And we ended on Sunday by reminding ourselves that none of this is about salvation. This is not earning our salvation. We are not less Christians or not Christians if we fail to do these things. No, we are made Christians. We are brought in Christ by trusting in Jesus and his atoning sacrifice and resurrection, victorious resurrection. But as we stare at the beauty of that gem, that gospel, we are motivated then with joy and gratitude to do these things because he's soon coming and he's our coming king. He's the anointed and soon coming king and we want to please him. But again, we don't want to conflate those two realities, our justification and our growth in Christ-likeness. The former must come before the latter, but we don't want to confuse them because then our assurance of salvation, our confusion of what, basically we're bringing works into the equation. We are then saved by works. We're saved by giving soup to people. We're saved by loving who God loves. We're saved by fill in the blank. No, no, no. We are saved by trusting Jesus. And because we're eternally saved, then we get to work and we do all these things to please him. Hmm. Well, Josiah, I'm glad that we've been able to navigate thus far in Matthew, looking at the context and looking at a passage like this that can be so, I don't know, for lack of better words, intense and perhaps even fear-inducing for some and be able to handle it rightly and understand the reality that this is a message given to other people that is still useful for us and should prepare us for the work that needs to be done. Uh, So thank you for leading us in that. And thank you for the time today. And uh, listener, until next time, go with grace and peace. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org 
to listen to sermons and for more information.